Well, many years ago when Steve and I had purchased our first home and we were going to move, we needed help moving. And we didn't have the money to hire a mover, so we just enlisted friends like a lot of us do. And I packed everything carefully. I wrapped it carefully. I just wanted to ensure safety on all of my precious things. And we had some young people show up to help us. And I was grateful for any help at all, but I think some of these young people had never helped in a move before, and they did not understand what the concept of fragile meant. So when I opened up some of my fragile boxes, I found that my china was broken and my crystal was shattered. I was so sad. We know, we know the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Haven't you ever felt like Humpty Dumpty? That you've gone through something so painful, so hard, that you felt like your life would never be the same again. The pain and brokenness and loss that you felt, you could compare it to my crystal that was shattered. You know, just a few weeks ago, a dear friend of ours, Shelly Busby, um, her daughter, Jessie Busby Simchek, is still here. And Shelly is a dear friend. She was a former member of our church. She was on staff. She released her first book. And it's called A Girl Who Walked in the Shadow of the King. It's an amazing read. And she tells in her book of some excruciating things that she went through. And they are quite extensive. And I just want to share with you a few of these things. She struggled in school. And at times, she was humiliated in front of her peers because she didn't learn easily. The divorce of her parents at the age of eight, only to have her mother get married six months later to an abusive man. This man was angry and toxic. They didn't know it then, but later on, he was diagnosed as bipolar and schizophrenic. Well, her stepfather sexually abused her at the age of 12. She finally had the courage to tell her mom about it. He was arrested and charges were filed, but Shelly and her family had to move into the shelter. And so they just had shame on top of shame having to do there. And it was a slam dunk case because her stepfather actually actually admitted to what he had done. And when she was going to court that day to testify before the judge, she was told if she did, he was going to go to jail He would lose his job, they would lose their home, they would have to go to a brand new school and make all new friends. Well, as you can imagine, you're 12 years old, that's way too much to handle. And she just could not handle that kind of pressure and do that to her mom and do that to her siblings. So the charges were dropped and in just a few days, he moved right back into their home like nothing had ever happened before. She felt rejected by her dad, who moved on with his new family. She felt unprotected by her mom. Later, Shelley learned that her stepfather went on 
to abuse others, and it was worse. And she knew she had dropped the charges. And the, having that realization was just too much for her. And she just began to spiral in a downward funk. It was too much. She didn't know how to handle that pain. And because she didn't know how to handle that pain, it felt like her heart was going to break. She was broken and shattered. She just lived in this constant state of survival mode. She became depressed. She was at odds and on the verge of a divorce with her husband. She went to therapy, and they said, you will always be depressed. You will be on medication for the rest of your life, and we will just have to increase the dosage so that you can cope with it. And let me just tell you right there, that is a curse. And I taught my kids at a very early age, we don't receive things that people speak on us. They've called me the word police, but words have power. So you break it off, and I've broken it off in front of people right to their face, but you don't receive the words that they say over you. That's right. We'll practice it here. Well, she found herself she was dependent on the medication, just like it had been spoken of for her. She was on the verge of a divorce with her husband. She was estranged from her mom and her dad, not even speaking to them. She was thinking of getting divorced, divorced and moving in with a woman who she knew was attracted to her, and she was actually attracted as well. And at realizing that she didn't have any formal education, she had no viable way to provide for herself or for her son, at her worst moment, she even considered selling herself. Of course, we know these are all lies and they're thoughts from the enemy, but Shelly didn't know that. She was desperate. She was in pain. She felt like her life was shattered. She didn't know how to handle it. And in her book, Shelley compared her heart filled with pain to a disease. And these are her words. She said, it was like cancer. It was cold and deformed, consuming though lacking life. It was bound in black cords of unforgiveness and spliced into veins, bleeding the poison that fed my disease. She went on to say that her heart was polluted diseased, infectious, and shameful. And it was located in her disgusting, corrupt shell. What words from a woman with such pain who was broken and shattered? And there's something that we all have in common here, and that is pain. We will all go through pain. Let's lighten it up for just a minute. Many of you are familiar with the, the children's story, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And I realize this is our second nursery rhyme that we've had in here this morning already, but I'm a new grandmother, and my new name is Noni. Um, Steve wanted to call me Granny, and I said, there ain't no way you're calling me Granny. So you can call me Noni. But back to the story. I'm going to need some help here from you. Now, we're a talkback church, right? Yeah. Don't you, doesn't Pastor Dustin always say a quiet church is a? Yeah. 
That's right, a quiet church is a dead church, and we're not a dead church. So I'm going to get you to help me here. I'm going to get you to repeat back to me when I say this. So let's get started here. Here we go. We're going on a bear hunt. Going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. Okay, y'all are doing a great job. I'm going to get you to help me here. Just a minute. Okay, these four children are going on this journey on a bear hunt, and they just keep running into these obstacles. And it's like thick, oozy mud, you know, really problems of life. Thick, oozy mud, and they've got this cold, dark river. And every time they come to these obstacles, they say the very same thing. So I'm going to get you to help me here, okay? I'm going to get you to repeat back again. This is what they say. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We gotta go through it. Let's say it again. We gotta go through it. Now turn to your neighbor and say, We gotta go through it. Okay, I did that in the first service. I don't like that, but I wanted y'all to have the same experience. There's kind of kind of control thing up here going or something, but anyway. That is what happens. It's like pain. We have to go through it. But we don't have to go through it alone. And pain comes in so many forms. It can be self-inflicted from our own choices, the things that we've done, or it can be inflicted on us. It could be things like betrayal or divorce or someone has said horrible things about you and they've broken your heart. You can feel lonely. You can be so offended and then you walk in unforgiveness and let me just tell you, the enemy will beat you up and you will definitely walk in pain with unforgiveness. There's every kind of imaginable abuse, even right here today, that's happened in people's lives. There's loss, death of a dream, death of a loved one, the transitions in life. You fill in the blank, the pain that you've gone through. Well, after Shelly got radically saved, she turned her pain to the right way. She was no longer a victim. She was a victor. She was not experiencing a horrible marriage, but a thriving marriage. She wasn't going to get a divorce. She was going to love her husband. She was shattered and broken, but now she was strengthened and uplifted. She was full of shame before, but now she was living a victorious life. And she's written a book that is going to help hundreds and thousands of people. What the enemy meant for evil, God is going to get the glory for. He is going to do something with it. Well, although Shelly still experiences pain, she handles it differently now. And I just want to tell you, church, that you are not going to be a victim to your past, a victim to your pain. You are not going to get bitter. You're going to get better. And God is going to use your pain for his glory. I just declare right now over you whatever you've gone through, God is going to redeem it, and he's going to use it, and it's going to be a slap in the devil's face. So I'm excited. God says that we are free, we are healed, we are restored, and we are victorious. So your life will not be broken. You will not be shattered. The title of my message today is Shatterproof. How to handle your pain in life when you feel like you will be shattered. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 
says, we often suffer, but we are never crushed or shattered. You know, when you shatter something like my crystal, it's broken where you can't use it anymore. It's utterly destroyed. It's, it's over. The damage is there. But it's never God's will for us to be shattered. The scripture says what I just read. We may suffer or be in pain. We will never be crushed. We will never be shattered. And when I looked up the word shatter in the dictionary, these are some of the words that I found. Crush. Demolish. Destroy. Wreck. Pulverize. Those words sound a lot like the enemy to me. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when I looked up the opposite meanings of the word shatter, here are some of the words I found. Build, encourage, fix, repair, restore, and even praise. That sounds a lot like our God who wants to give us the abundant life. So I want to talk with you today about three ways that we can shatterproof our hearts and our lives when we experience pain. The first one is cry out to Jesus. We've got to cry out to Jesus. We've got to go to him immediately because the enemy is just waiting for an opening so he can come into your life and he can cause utter destruction. So you've got to go immediately. We're all going to experience pain and suffering so deep that we will not be able to handle it if we don't cry out to Jesus and we will feel like our lives are shattered. You know, when my daughter Hannah was three and a half years old, my sweet neighbor invited her and also invited Stephen to come over and play. And um, she knew I was pregnant, I wasn't feeling well, and Steve had just gone out of town, and she was just trying to be sweet. And I said, that would be great. They'd been over there before. They loved playing with her daughter. So I thought, awesome. I'll get in the shower, and then I'll lay down and take a nap. I'm in the shower, and all of a sudden, I hear the banging on the door. So I quickly got out, and I, I put on Steve's T-shirt and no shoes, wrapped my head in a towel, and I, sorry, I got carried away here, wrapped my head in a towel, and, and I ran to the door, and it was Stephen. And he said, Mommy, he said, Toby bit Hannah. Well, Toby was their dog. He was a 120-pound dog. And so I thought, well... It probably, I wasn't horribly worried. I thought, it's probably just a nick, and I rushed across the street. And when I got across the street, my neighbor was holding Hannah in her arms, cradling her, and I could see a towel over her face. And I said, let me see. And she said, I don't want you to see. She said, Toby ripped her lip off. And the fear and the adrenaline slapped me in the face. And I took Hannah from her, and I removed the towel. And Toby had bit off the entire half of her upper lip. Blood everywhere. Hannah was crying. My neighbor was hysterical. She was immobilized with fear. And I had to do something. And tears were flowing down my face. And all I knew to do was look up to heaven. And I said, Jesus, help me. And Jesus heard my cry. I didn't have long. And it's in times like this that we have to make the decision. What are we gonna do when something hits us like that? 
Will we cry out to Jesus or will we blame Jesus? The enemy wants us to blame him. Isn't it slimy how something bad will happen and the enemy will say, it's Jesus' fault. He could have stopped it. Why did that happen? How could he let that happen to you if he loves you? Because he knows that Jesus is the only one who can help you in your time of pain. Well, I didn't have time to pray long. All I could do was shout out to Jesus. And here's a scripture for you. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. When I cried out the name of Jesus, his supernatural grace, supernatural help came upon me. And the Holy Spirit quickened me to know exactly what to do in that moment. Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. For the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I experienced that scripture that day. The Lord full on met me when I cried out the name of Jesus, and he helped me. And when we turn to him at our point of need, he will always help us. But when pain happens, if we don't turn to him, there's only so much pain that we can handle. We are not equipped to handle it before we have to turn to something to get rid of it. And that's when you see things like turning to bad relationships or sex, porn, watching TV all the time, going shopping, um, food. I mean, seriously, is a brownie or a bag of chips really going to solve your problem? I know sometimes we think it can. We want to do some retail therapy out there, and that just makes it worse on our finances. But the problem with, with this if it's only temporary, and then we have to feed it some more and more and more until it turns into a vicious, vicious cycle, and we are actually worse off than we were before. Pain can cripple you. Pain can hijack you. Pain can shatter your life, but that is never God's intention for you. Jesus died on the cross and it wasn't just for our forgiveness. It was also for our pain. And the scripture says in Isaiah, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. In Psalms, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up the wounds. He's our pain taker if we will run to him, if we will cry out and give it to him. So not only do we need to cry out to Jesus when we experience pain, but the second way that we shatterproof our hearts is to take our thoughts captive. I mean, have you ever just sat around and let your mind wander, and before you know it, you were depressed and anxious, and you, don't even, you didn't even know why? 
Are you, I mean, you're just feeling hopeless or angry. I mean, I've done this. Have you ever gotten offended by someone and then you just sat around and you just thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and you're like, that stunk. They really did me wrong. What injustice. I'm. Th- this is not right. And before you know it, the enemy has been talking in your ear so much and that you throw yourself the biggest party in ta- pity party in town. And I throw myself some big pity parties. I'm talking about party favors and all. But not one person enjoyed that party, not even me. It doesn't help. And the devil just keep whispering things to you if you don't take your thoughts captive. In John 8, 44, it says, he's a liar. He is the father of the lies. So if I believe the lies and think I can't, then I probably won't. If I think my life is terrible, it will be terrible. If I think it's too hard, it will be too hard. If I focus on all the pain, all the injustice, everything I've lost, then I'm going to become bitter and depressed, discouraged, and hopeless. And nobody's going to want to be around me or you if we act like that. And we can't be effective for the kingdom of God. It says you have to think about what you're thinking about. Just think about that. Think about what you're thinking about. Satan will straight up lie to you in first person, and he will tell you that everything that you see in the natural is the way it really is, and it's always going to be that way. He loves to lie to us. But 2 Corinthians 10 tells us what we need to do. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle is up here in our mind. And Satan will tempt you. And when you give in, then he comes and he condemns you. But Jesus never offers condemnation. He extends forgiveness. He convicts us. He forgives us. But if we don't take our thought captive, we will sit in the pain of condemnation and unforgiveness until we are eaten alive. I want to get back to my story with help, with, about Hannah. I cried out to Jesus, and he helped me. And the entire ride on the way to the ambulance, I declared out loud over and over and over. I said, I come against fear, and I come against trauma in Jesus' name. You will have no place in my daughter's life. I didn't care what anybody thought about me in that, in that ambulance. I was not going to allow the enemy to get a foothold in my daughter's life. And even though my uh, response initially was the right way, crying out to Jesus, the enemy did not stop the assaults. And I held it together pretty well until following the surgery when the plastic surgeon came out and began to talk with us. And Steve thankfully made it home from out of town before the surgery was over. And he told us this was one of the worst dog bites he had ever seen. He said, I have no idea how many times the dog bit Hannah. He said, and her upper lip right there, she had over 200 stitches where he had created a lip. I did not even know that the injury was so bad. I didn't even know that the entire bottom lip had been split open. Her nose was cut and her teeth had turned black from the trauma. And when I heard these words, I couldn't stand up anymore. And I began to weep 
uncontrollably. And I could not pray for myself at all. And I remember Shelly Busby, who I was just talking about, she was at the hospital, and she just came, and she put her hand on me, and she just began to intercede and pray over me against the darkness that was coming to attack me. And for days and weeks, the enemy assaulted me. And he would speak to me in first person, using the word I. He would say, and I thought, I let her go. I wanted her to go. I was tired and I needed a break. The if onlys screamed at me. If only I hadn't let her go. If only I could just go back in time. And I know sitting here today, there are people right now and you're saying, if only. If only I hadn't had sex before marriage. If only I hadn't had that abortion. If only I would have tried harder in my marriage. The enemy will throw if onlys at us all day long if we don't take our thoughts captive. Well, the enemy spoke to me and I listened. He blamed me and I received the blame. I replayed the scene over and over and over again in my mind and I was tormented what I saw. I would let my mind think about what it would have been like if I would have said no. What kind of mother was I? How could I have let her go? Look at my baby girl now. And I saw pictures just days before when Steve and and our whole family had gone to the Ranger game. We were celebrating his birthday. And when I saw those pictures with Hannah, I wept. And the fear and trauma that I had prayed against over my daughter in the ambulance came on me. And I began to hate myself. And I began to fear for Hannah's future. I did not take my thoughts captive. I was beaten down. I was so traumatized that when I would go to bed at night, I would put my Bible on my chest because I would wake up crying and all I could do was hold on to God's word. Romans 8, 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. My mind was not focused on the spirit, but on my situation, and I desperately needed the peace that the scriptures promised there. Thankfully, I continued to cry out to God, and I wish it was a one and done and we were, and it was over, but we have to continually go back and cry out to God, go back and go back and go back. He's, that's what he's there for. So I cried out to Jesus. I took my thoughts captive, and eventually I won victory in this area. But I, let me tell you, even to this day, the enemy will want to take me back there and remind me of that. And just to let you know, my beautiful daughter, Hannah, who's sitting over here today, God did a supernatural reconstructive miracle in her life. It's exactly what we prayed for, and God did it. And unless you were this close to her, you couldn't even see a scar. She's gorgeous on the inside and the outside, and God's hand is on her. Amen. Sweet daughter. So in the midst of our pain, we cry out to Jesus. We take our thoughts captive. 
And the third way that we want to shatterproof our hearts is we don't quit. Scripture says in Galatians, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we do not quit or give up. This is not just a message. This is a life message for me. And I know about devastating pain that is in this world. Just this week alone, I've heard devastating pain that people in our church are going through. And I'm familiar with my own pain. The pain of growing up and realizing somebody didn't want me and they gave me up. The pain of rejection and abandonment. The cruelty of kids growing up. Those ugly words like, you're ugly, you're fat. The sting of being left out or chosen last or just not chosen at all. The pain of an eating disorder and its vicious cycle that just went on. The pain of constant sickness, constant physical pain, broken relationships, financial pressures. The pain of a decision that brought horrible shame to me. And I wore that shame like a heavy coat for years and years and years. And as a result of that, suffered with depression and hopelessness. And then the pain of that depression and hopelessness that I brought into the marriage and what I did to our marriage. The pain of losing children to miscarriage. The pain of seeing my own children in pain, of being hurt, of being rejected, of being left out. The pain of being hurt by my own children. Of near-death experiences with my children when I did not know if they were going to live or die. And all I could do was cry out to Jesus and beg him not to take them. The pain of losing a friend and feeling so alone and just wanting to have a group to belong to. The pain of church members who you thought were really in your corner, but then they turned on you and they even lied about you. The pain of seeing your parents' age, suffering in the hospitals. My mom's in the hospital right now struggling. And seeing your parents be forced to move into a facility because they could no longer care for themselves and watching the pain they went through as they had to give away or sell all their possessions for pennies. Watching your dad die with dementia. The pain of the transition of the church. And as Pastor Dustin said, um, Steve and I started this church over 25 years ago, and we pastored it for 20 years. And transitions are hard. I have a quote from T.D. Jakes that I just want to share with you because we all go through transitions in our life. If you're not in one now, you're going to be in one tomorrow. So this is a quote that you can hang on to. Transition is a vulnerable place. You're not completely hooked into your future, but you're locked out of your past. And surprisingly, this transition 
was one of the most difficult and painful things that I have ever gone through in my life. You know, why would the Lord ask us to labor for 20 years with nowhere to go and nothing he was calling to and to transition the church to our beloved pastors who we love and we are so thankful that they have it. But why? What were we going to do? What did God had have for us? Would I ever minister again? Would we what would we what was our future going to be like? We were prepared to leave the church in order that it, the transition goes smoothly if we needed to. We wanted God to move in this church and we wanted it to go well. But I remember thinking, where will we go to church? What's going to happen to our children? What about all of our friends? And in the midst of all this transition, God told us to put our house up for sale. And we had no idea where we were supposed to go. It just seemed like everything in my life had gotten thrown up into the air, and I didn't know where the pieces were going to land. My children were growing up. My son Stephen left for college, and my heart was broken. It had been hard enough to drop him off at kindergarten, but going to college, it felt like a death to me. Next, off went my daughter Hannah. It just seemed like my nest was emptying out before me and there was nothing I could do. And I wanted everything for my children, but I loved being a mom and everything was changing. All I ever wanted to do in life was get married, be a mom, and be in ministry. And now it seemed like everything was coming to an end and I didn't feel like I had a future or a purpose. And when we go through hard times, our minds, we want to quit. We want to give up. But Pastor Dustin always says, if you don't quit, you win. We win. And so I just want to give you some practical tips, things that I practice in my own life when there's deep pain there and I want to quit, but I'm not going to. So very quickly, we just focus on others. We take our minds off of ourselves. If you get your mind off of yourself and you start blessing someone else, you will be surprised how happy you will be. Be thankful. Have an attitude of gratitude. Literally, thank God for everything you can think of. Be positive. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at all that you have left. That was, that was key for me. Fill your mind with positive things and don't complain. Joyce Meyer always says, when you complain, you remain. So start calling the things that be not as though they are in Romans 4, 17. You be positive. You get with God's people and you declare the goodness of the God that he is not over and you will not quit. Get in the word. Read the word. Pray the word. Sing the word. Pray. Ask the Lord to speak. Listen to podcasts. Listen to the radio, but get in the Word. Start your day with the Lord. End your day with the Lord. Worship. Sometimes I annoy Steve a lot because I will listen to the same song for 25 to 30 times. My, daughter, my other daughter was here earlier, and she goes, that's true, Mom. You do. And then focus on heaven. When this world just seems too hard... I focus on heaven because I know this is only temporary. Colossians said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So the bottom line is, I refuse to quit. I will not give up. 
I will not waste my pain. I will not waste the season I'm in. We love those abundant seasons where the blessings are just flowing and everything is going right. But honestly, I don't grow as much in those seasons. It's when I'm in the trenches with the Lord that I really grow and my roots go deep. And in my darkest time, when things were the very worst, I felt like I was in a UFC match. And the enemy was punching me and punching me and punching me. And he had me down on the mat. And it was like he set up the perfect storm, the perfect situations where circumstances were so challenging. I was exhausted. Lie after lie after lie to destroy me. And he would punch me and he would say, there's nothing to live for. Your life is over. Your ministry is over. When your children leave home, you have nothing left. Your best days are behind you. Take your life. And when I was down on that mat and the enemy was calling me out, one, two, and he thought he was going to take me out. I said, no, devil, I'm not quitting. I'm getting back up. God is not finished with me. I will not quit. And God is not finished with you today. And you may feel like you're on the mat and the enemy is punching you. You're walking through betrayal or a divorce. Someone has crushed your dreams. Someone has spoken horrible things about you. You've lost a dream. You've lost a loved one. And you feel like you're about to go down for the count. And I just want to tell you, God is not finished with you. Your best days are not behind you. They are in front of you. Your pain will not paralyze you. It's going to promote you. If you turn to God, He's going to use what you've been through and He's going to use it to make you a glorious testimony of His grace. And my days, the end of my days have not been written and neither have yours because He's got good things ahead ahead from us. You are shatterproof. I declare it over you. Your life is shatterproof.